everyone, and welcome to the Change Makers Podcast, where we chat with interesting and engaging individuals here and far about change, making change, living change in their own lives, how they've experienced unimaginable change, and innovative ways people uplift the lives of others. We chat about triumphs over tragedies, mindset matters, and how we live out our life's purpose inspirationally. So please join us to be inspired and empowered to be the change you want to see in this world. You know, we can all be change makers in our lives. Here's to the change you're about to bring forth. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Changemakers Podcast. I'm Kimberly Rice, Chief Changemaker of Changemakers, where we create bold careers and lives. Today, I could not be more excited to welcome my friend Norman Wolf, CEO and founder of Quantum Leaders, where he teaches business leaders every day and innovators how to change and adapt to change creatively and boldly. So our conversation today could not be more apropos as we are all living, hopefully, um, effectively um, and um, kindly through this COVID-19 pandemic. So welcome today, Norman. Thank you, Kimberly. It's such a delight to be with you again. Uh, I enjoyed our last conversation and look forward to where this one might take us. <laughs> um, so our reader, so our listeners understand, um, Norman and I had had um, had an opportunity to have a discussion previously, and due to what we call those technological difficulties, we had that aborted, and so we're going to take a second try at it today. So first, I want to give Norman an opportunity to share with our listeners a bit about himself, his professional journey and what makes his heart sing professionally? Wow. Um, so I am, as you said, founder and CEO of Quantum Leaders. It's a small, at least at this stage, small consulting firm. Um, I have been consulting since I left Hewlett Packard. I was with HP for 15 years, left them in 1988 and started consulting. Uh, I probably touched every aspect of an organization's challenges somewhere along the line from but turnaround situations to quality and process improvement from mergers and acquisitions to strategy execution and CEO coaching, uh, operations, sales, marketing. Um, so I have a very broad uh, background in all aspects of business. I've been on a number of uh, company boards, public companies, private companies, uh, nonprofits. I've been the chair of three nonprofits over the years. So I've had quite an extensive business background. I've also had quite an extensive uh, dive, deep dive into personal growth and understanding what makes me and others tick, why we do what we do, and how we create the outcomes we create. Um, I've actually taken all of that experience and, and both on the personal growth side and on the uh, business side and combine them into the living organization framework. It's a model 
that looks at an organization through a different lens. The reason I did that um, was the recognition that in all the work I've done with people and organizations and the looking at results, whether you look at the Gallup poll of employee engagement, how that's been at 23% of, of employees are engaged. I mean, 77% are unengaged. Uh, whether you look at statistics from McKinsey or Boston Consulting Group or any of the big consulting firms about the success of implementing any of the strategic initiatives is fails at around 70%. Mm. We don't have incompetent leaders. We don't have uh, people who don't want to change and make their organizations better. In fact, if anything, my experience says that all leaders are really committed to the success of their organization. And it's not like we don't have enough tools, methods, systems, products, offerings, frameworks that explain to how we can run our organizations better. And yet over the last four decades, they still fail at the rate I've mentioned. <clears throat> what I concluded was it's not a failure of leadership. It's not a failure of um, tools and methodologies. It's a failure of paradigms. And what I mean by that, we have a certain way we look at an organization, what it does and how it does it. And if you know the definition of paradigm, it's basically our worldview or our framework of how we know how to live life and be successful. And once we have that framework, it becomes unconscious. And we just operate from within that framework. Mm -hmm. And that framework is oriented to an organization as a mechanistic, a machine of production. And when you start thinking through that lens, all of the new models and methodologies for today's world don't work. It's like putting a application that's designed for a Apple Mac onto a Microsoft PC. It's just not going to work that well. And that's the fundamental problem that I've seen and we built quantum leaders to address. That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot of good meat there that I can't wait to dive into. So let's, one let's question. Go, so one question off the top of my head that, that your eloquent um, explanation um, pivots me to is, so with these paradigms and methodologies, uh, what makes quantum leaders different and to stand differentiate from the comp competition? So as I said, most programs, um, take certain programs that we have out now, like uh, self-management um, or self-managing teams or agile or lean operations. And these are predicated on certain people, I mean, certain principles that are fundamentally oriented around what you might call uh, people-centric principles, uh, autonomy, uh, decentralized decision-making, give people the power at the, on the, on, you know, like typical Toyota, anybody can stop the line, right? Um, but when you try to take this and put it into a, 
a framework that looks at the organization as a machine, they inherently fail because those core principles are incompatible with the core principles of a mechanistic or machine paradigm. For example, um, in, in a creative, agile kind of or organization, you want innovation, creativity, um, and you want it to come from the people. In a machine paradigm, I want efficiency, I want to eliminate variability, I want predictability and control. Those elements force me to eliminate creativity because it forces me to eliminate variability and I can't create if I can't experiment. You see, it's just, and it's not that one is right and one is wrong, it's just what do you want, what do you need for your organization in today's world? And while the machine paradigm was perfectly designed for one, our understanding about how the world works based on Newtonian physics, uh, and two, for the environment we were operating back in the 1900s and 1800s. Um, but it's not quite so powerful today. To answer your question, the living organization framework looks at an organization as a living person. Mm. And so we begin to now, instead of trying to optimize the machine for effective production, we want to develop the living person for its capability and maturity, because capability and maturity is what allows us as people to operate in a more fluid, dynamic, adaptive way. And so we want to apply those same principles to an organization that we apply to the development of human capability. Gotcha. So <clears throat> thank you. Thank you for that. So let's chat a minute about change adoption. Um, you know, boy, aren't we, aren't we seeing so much of that, like right now, yes. um, such, I mean, it's just mind blowing, um, and tragic at the same time. Um, but I'm, I'm curious from your unique perspective, what are, what are some of the greatest challenges that the CV era is demanding of us with respect to change? Well, the biggest challenge that I think COVID-19 is causing us to face, my mind's going off in a number of different, <laughs> uh, a number of different thoughts have just popped into my mind. Two, two big things, and we can, I'll, I'll, I'll throw them both out and then we can explore them in, in whatever sequence you'd like. The first is, as with any crisis, we are individually and collectively challenged to think about what are my priorities in life? You know, if you look at it again at an individual basis, when anything significant happens in my life, I lose a job, I get a divorce, I lose a loved one, um, I, I get into a car accident and my car's totaled. These affect it breaks my routine, my, my daily patterns, right? Uh, some in small ways, like getting into a car accident, some in big ways, like getting a divorce or losing a loved one or losing a job. And what typically happens when we get into those modes is we stop because life forced us to, and we reflect on what our priorities are and what's really important to us. 
I had a really significant personal experience with that when both of my parents died in the fall of 2001. So first major crisis, 911 hit. Then my mom got, my mom and dad got into a minor car accident, but my mom was already fragile. And then about a month and a half after the accident, she never recovered and passed away. And then three weeks later, my dad passed away. So wow. you talk about a personal disruption to one's life. Yeah. I got just smacked up the side of the head. And what it did for me and what happens with most people during major crisis is they stop. And I began to ask a question, what is my life really all about? In one way, I'm an orphan now. I don't have parents anymore. What, what does that mean to me? What is, what is, and what I see happening with COVID-19 is that's happening on a major scale collectively. Leaders I know are asking the question, what does that mean to me? What, what does it mean to my organization? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> What's going to happen when people start coming back to work? Will they even, you know, will people really want to fly from, you know, the U.S. to China for a meeting, for an hour meeting, get on a plane and fly home? Or will they start using Zoom? Right. Or, you know, some online vehicle? <clears throat> will people start going out and, and eating out a lot? Or did they get used to the notion of eating home more? and having food maybe delivered instead of going sitting in a restaurant. Mm -hmm. um, what, what, what is all this change going to do? And I had a wonderful conversation with a young man just recently who uh, shared this with me. I, at first when it happened, I felt lost. I didn't know what to do because every day I would get up and I know, I, I know what to do. I go to work. I, go into the meetings, I come home, I have dinner, you know, settle in, do it all over again the next day and the next day and the next day. And he said, at first I felt lost, but now I look back and I realize I've been on a hamster wheel. Do I really want to go back to that? So that's just one example, but I know a lot of people are asking that question mm -hmm. and companies are asking that question about themselves and also wondering what the future is going to hold when all these people start coming back to work, are they gonna, so there's no, I, I don't know what the outcome's gonna be, but it certainly presents leaders with the challenge, back to your question, how do I plan for a future that I can't really predict? I've been right, you're so right. <clears throat> I've been writing, publishing, speaking, hosting, interviewing, all day and all night for weeks and weeks around this one topic, seven steps to pivot your business in a pandemic and beyond. And I've kind of pulled together multiple resources, not only based on my experience and working with professionals across the globe for decades, but those of others. And one of the, one of the points that I, that I keep coming back to to deliver to business leaders around the world is what an opportunity for, you know, what an opportunity to pause. And we frame that the power of the pause. Right. Now, of course, the asterisk is provided you're not sick or no one in your family is sick. You know, I mean, so that's, that is the caveat. You have to stay well. Right. Um, but 
Um, I've never lived anything like any lived through anything like this. And I'm, you know, I'm probably mid midway through my life, maybe a little bit more than midway through. But I think that, you know, from a positive mindset, growth mindset perspective, this may be a once in a lifetime opportunity for all of us to just stop and pause and consider any or all aspects of our lives um, and how we can do things, adapt, change, moving forward to add what, what I've been talking a lot about is, you know, uh, evaluating the meaning yes. of all of this change. Yeah. Um, Finding in, 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 in organizations, not only individuals, as, as we talk about, but organizations themselves. Again, I look at it as a living person. So organizations have a core purpose, just like you do and I do. Uh, they live by a certain set of preconceived assumptions and belief systems, and, and they operate based on those. And they're unconscious for the most part, but they're there. Um, and, and pauses like this give us the ability to reflect and ask the question, what's really important. Mm -hmm. So going forward, one of the core things that I think leaders should do or would be useful for them to do is to have that, as you say, pause, reflect, and, and re-evaluate re and, and affirm who they are, what their purpose in the world is. And, and I like to use the phrase, who do they wanna be while they end up doing what they're doing, right? Because mm -hmm. that, that gets to more of the, the deeper sense of meaning and purpose and, and values beyond just you know, value statements and value vision stuff, which I think right. is a waste of time mostly. Not completely, but it, it, it doesn't have the, the power of beingness behind it. Um, the second challenge is, is if I'm a leader and, and I am my planning is based on having a certain degree of a sense that I, I can predict to some degree what the future is going to be like. And we usually do it based on the past. You know, my customers wanted this, and so I can plan for more of that. Uh, this is the direction the industry has been going for the last five years. It's likely to continue in this way. We don't know that for, for the future. Right. The machine paradigm, as I said, is oriented towards predictability and control. Living beings are much more adaptable. They're comfortable with improvisation, to use a concept, yeah. right? Uh, we're comfortable. I mean, we go to the, we go to this, Mark, here, just this conversation. We don't have a script. We're not reading a script. I don't know what you're going to ask me. You don't know what I'm going to say. And we're just you know, you say something, I respond to it, I say something, you, and, and, and we're having this wonderful conversation, right? We're creating something out of it. We, we improvise all the time. It's very natural and normal. But in business, the belief system that says, I can't operate from this improvisational mindset. Rather, I have to operate from this predict and control mindset prevents me from being comfortable and being able to pivot with whatever shows up. Well, improvisation mindset is a learnable skill, mm -hmm. right? And we can help leaders begin to reframe uh, how they view the future so they can pivot to whatever shows up. Key to that is you got to know what you stand for. I mean, 
it's not hard for me to respond to your questions because I'm coming from who I am and my core purpose. Right. I don't need a leader to tell me what to think or how to behave, which is a hierarchical machine paradigm. I can just respond. That's what we want to get leadership to do. That's part of what the living organization framework embodies. Uh, without that, leaders are going to be very, very um, challenged. It's going to be very difficult for them to, to feel comfortable. And if they don't feel comfortable, their organizations aren't going to feel comfortable. The word that comes to mind for me is rudderless. Yes. Because I've been in multiple organizations over my career as an employee in male dominated fields and almost without exception. And these are small, medium and large organizations of hundreds and hundreds of people. And the, the degree to which the leaders, we call them leaders, managing teams, leadership teams, um, executive committees have no formal or professional or any other kind of leadership training. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, to follow someone who has a title of a leader without the substance of a leader, um, I think is a very dangerous prescription for mutiny. <laughs> well, there's absolutely right. And, and on top of that, just think about the, the, the current role uh, orientation of a leader in, in, in the traditional paradigm, the leader's role is to plan, organize, lead, and control. Fundamentally, they're the ones that are responsible for designing what the machine is going to do. And they're responsible for communicating that effectively so all the people in the machine operate according to the machine's design. Right. Well, think about that a little bit. What we're really saying is you as an employee, but it's just a cog in the wheel of the big machine. Mm -hmm. And now that we're in a crisis situation, we're all sitting around waiting for the leaders to tell us what to do. It's fundamentally a parent-child relationship. It's not an adult-adult relationship. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the reasons why organizations have a difficult time in today's world responding to today's challenges, especially something like COVID, something as disruptive as COVID. I mean, we've had disruptions for the last two decades that, uh, relatively speaking, are minor, but they're just equally as impactful. Um, Facebook coming up and creating the social media. You know, it, within a matter of months, the world changed. All marketing had us pivot. Um, a lot of them couldn't handle it. They didn't, and even today, a lot of companies don't know what to do with social media right. a decade and a half later. Um, yeah. It goes to the fact that everybody's waiting for the leader to make the decisions for them. Mm -hmm. That's not only bad for the employees, as you pointed out, it creates a rudderless or a ineffectively steered ship, but it puts a huge burden on the leaders. I coach CEOs all the time. I've been on boards, as I said, and boy, the pressure on a leader. I mean, here I have an organization of 50, 100, or 5,000, or 50,000 employees who are waiting for me to decide what to do. <sighs> Come on now. <laughs> Boy, you talk about pressure on the poor guy or gal that's leading yeah. that organization. Yeah. That's tremendous 
tremendous amount of responsibility. Um, and some of them handle it well and some of them don't. And um, so, yeah, and, and especially in a time like this where they've got to decide what they do next, how they're going to do it, are they going to furlough people, who are they going to furlough? I mean, <laughs> it's not healthy for anybody. No, no, no. When we begin to develop an organization like we develop a people, here's, here's, the, here's the picture of what's possible in the future. Imagine you raised your children the way we run an organization. And now they're 20 years old, 30 years old, and they're still dependent on mom and dad. So now you have all these 30 year olds living with mom and dad and mom and dad are saying, why, you know, what about me? When, when do I get to have a life, right? So now let's draw that same parallel to organizations. Now imagine you did a good job raising your children and they became autonomously responsible, self-determining human beings. Now think of your life. <laughs> Right. So again, it, it, it's to everybody's best interest for the leadership to begin to shift how they view their role. It's not plan, organize, lead, and control. You're not the heroic uh, leader. You're not the parent figure. You're not the one that's responsible for taking care of everybody. Your job is to develop the people, set the context for why we exist, build a sense of community and just be of service internally to your people and externally let the organization be of service to the world. That's a different framework. That's more of a, how I, how I approached raising my children mm -hmm. and much more. I mean, at this age now, I've got wonderful children, wonderful grandchildren. None of them are coming home. <laughs> I don't have to take care of them. Even during this crisis, I'm so proud to watch how they are handling it on a personal basis. Wonderful. Imagine your organization was like that. Wow. And that doesn't happen. I mean, that doesn't happen without um, conscious engagement and conscious leadership um, from, the top, from the top down. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, when we say conscious leadership, I don't want us to get back to, we're waiting for the leader to make the decisions on how we should behave. The leadership should just focus on, my job isn't to tell you what to do, my job is to help you be able to decide on your own what to do. Right. Now, it, from that, that's a conscious leader. That's one who doesn't want to be the parent forever. That's the one that wants to see the children, the collective, living entity grow up and, and be able to decide on its own. You know, there's a company in Europe uh, called Birdsaw. Uh, it's a nursing company. It's now something like, I think I saw the numbers about 8,000 nurses. It's the leading nursing company in the world. There's one manager in the whole company. That's Joost de Block. And he doesn't even manage it. He, it it's made up of 10 to 12 person nursing teams who are completely autonomous. Amazing. And, and they, I mean, they've grown to, I think they started in like 2007 and 2008. So in 10 years, they've grown from one team of 12 people to hundreds of teams of 8,000 people. Wow. Right? 
and their performance far exceeds every other organization in their industry. Whatever metrics, uh, customer satisfaction, you know, patient satisfaction, uh, the, the regulatory agencies change the regulations to allow them to continue to operate because they're providing a better service and they wanted to get the regulations out of their way. There's financial performance. They run at about an 8% overhead where the general nursing company runs around 28%. Mm. I mean, by any metric, this company is just phenomenal um, and there's one manager. Somebody's doing something really, really right. They must have hired you. Are they your client? <laughs> um, I wish they were, no. Yos, but, but in talking to Yos, it, it's very clear to me that he started the whole thing thinking in, in the living organization framework. Mm -hmm. He looked at his, at his teams and said, these are living individuals. They are operating on their own. My job is to guide them and develop them and allow them to develop themselves actually was more accurate uh, so they can so they become mature living entities collectives communities of 10 to 12 professional nurses who can handle themselves they don't need to report we, we support them with a with a technology a, a system that allows them to effectively collect data and, and move data around and and all of that um, even strategically he takes all the inputs from the teams and they tell him what the how the organization strategically needs to shift and pivot. Hmm. It's amazing. It's an amazing model to watch. I cite them. There's a few others coming up uh, over time. Uh, a lot of them, they weren't my clients, but uh, a lot of them are literally implementing our principles. Um, you know, I said to 70% failure, well, there's 30% success. Sure. And those successful people have various elements of the living organization framework in how they're operating and what's causing them to be successful. That's wonderful. Wonderful. That's so exciting to hear um, that so many companies have adapted um, and have been willing to change from the older, non-evolving um, non living organisms that they truly are. Yeah. And that they, you know, the, what we've seen in, in the work that I've done over decades, uh, I think the common denominator for us working in the professional services space is we can teach, train, guide, advise, counsel, etc. Anything to anyone as long as they're willing yes. to learn yes. and are committed to the process. Yes. I'm yes. not a neuro. I'm not a neurologist. I'm not a neuroscience. <laughs> I'm not a robotic engineer. I mean, this is not rocket science, what we do to build prosperous businesses, but where the breakdown happens is when the clients, the you know, managing partners or the leadership of our client firms are no longer willing to learn or to think a different way to adapt their thinking um, and therefore commit to the process. Yeah, you know, you, you're talking about one of the fundamental challenges of, of change and, and as i said we're, we're in the business of shifting the paradigm which is really a uh, probably the most difficult form of change one can tackle on uh, I, I used to be a ski instructor and for whatever reason i would always um teach beginners <laughs> and and i learned a lot from that process and and i've learned and, and to me 
I'll, I'll, sh I'll share a metaphor that explains why it's difficult for people to change. When we grew up, all of us grew up, we're standing on top of a hill, and it's a moderately or a steep hill. We know instinctively, it's, it's, we don't think about it. Safety and success means you do not lean or put your weight downhill. Because if you do, you will fall and probably kill yourself, right? I mean, that doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that. Learning to ski, the, the key to skiing is that you have to put your weight over the tips of the ski. You've got to weight the skis, especially the tips of the skis, so the ski design can actually do what it's designed to do and get you down the hill with hardly any effort. You know, when you, when you really good ski, you, you, you watch the good skiers, they're just shifting the weight really smooth. And they're just floating down the hill, right? It's effortless. The metaphor is this. We have a, an instinctual framework, the paradigm of the machine paradigm that we are living with. The living organization or any of the new principles that we've talked about is trying to help leaders understand that they have to do something different. They have to shift their weight downhill, mm -hmm. right? They have to start thinking of the organization as a living being. They have to play with uh, what we call the context of the organization, uh, which is the core beliefs and assumptions that we have. And we have to work with that energy, if you will, or that field of, of energy, because that's what really produces the results. Well, here I am used to thinking, keep my weight uphill, instinctively uphill. That, that mirrors in, in the machine paradigm, think about the activity the organization does. Never mind the context, think about the activity, because that's what gets us success. So now we come along and we say, no, trust the context, focus on the context, the activity will take care of itself. And people go, oh, that makes sense. Boy, it makes my job easier. And just like beginning skiers, they throw their weight uphill on the back of the skis, bend at the waist and hold their hands forward. And it looks like they're doing the right thing. They're fooling themselves and thinking they're doing the right thing. So again, the parallel, the metaphor is leaders take on these principles. They go, it makes sense. And they act still from the, what do I do and how do I do it? Instead of saying, who am I being while I'm doing what I'm doing? Who are we as a collective being while we're doing what we're doing? And how do we change that sense of being to create the outcomes we really want? So it's that the, the paradigm shift is counter-instinctual. Yes. And it's scary. It's fundamentally scary. Because it's um, unknown. Yeah, right. As you well know, being a change maker, right? Um, and so our work is designed to help people start on a, on a bunny slope. <laughs> we take them on a beginner's hill. We don't take them up on the, you know, we don't say, hey, let's change your whole organization. And uh, we take you on a beginner's hill. We introduce you to some basic principles, teach you some new skills that give you the tools to operate with these new, new concepts. Um, and then slowly, gradually, we take them on steeper and steeper hills, and that translates into more challenging and difficult issues. And we apply those same basic principles as, as the issues get more challenging. So that's how we're approaching this challenge for change. Um, 
The other thing that, that people don't readily understand about change is change is really a death process. 1978, I was at a Hewlett uh, Packard executive management retreat. And Ken Blanchett, the author of The One Minute Manager, was our key, keynote speaker for that event, or our guest speaker. And in 78, you know, we were already two, three years into huge, rapid growth. We were growing about 50% a year for three, two, three, four years. And Ken came in, and his theme was change. And he said, think about it. Whenever you're facing change, that which was is gone. Yes. And you now, the body, the psyche, the emotional body experiences a loss. Mm -hmm. And first thing it does is deny it. Right? So think about the changes you've worked with people and you'll see this pattern. Mm -hmm. First thing we do is deny it. Now we don't need that change. Nobody cares. It's not that important. Right? The next thing they do is they get angry and they start blaming. Mm -hmm. Why are they making me do this? What's the matter? The way we've done it for... Right? And they start getting angry. And they go through the five stages of death and dying until they get to acceptance. And then they um, start, and then the change happens. But we never acknowledge that internal process as a collective process that we have to go through. So imagine, and this is what Ken said. He said, I want all of you to go into the room. Get, first of all, start denying it then get angry, then blame, and then get to acceptance and then have the conversations about what you want to do. Mm. And I've actually used this in, in, in not quite so blunt ways, but in the work I do with organizations and change, I take them through a, a sort of a mourning process. It doesn't, it's like a wake, but we don't call it that, but we honor that which is leaving behind. We look at what, how it's been valuable to us. We look about what aspects of it we want to bring forward. What aspects are we willing to let go? We, we allow the discussions to unfold about that. And you can see the energy begin to shift in a matter of a, a half a day workshop. We don't acknowledge the true nature. And again, you can see it's a living being. I treat an organization like a living being. Because it is, it, it goes through all the emotional traumas that individuals go through. So why not acknowledge that and work with it instead of having it work against us, instead of saying, oh, the problem with my people is they're resistant to change. No, they're not resistant to it. They just have to process it. Right. So there's an example, another one where we're shifting the framework to seeing an organization as a living being is, is valuable. So incredibly powerful. Thank, Thank you. you so much for sharing that from your deep body of expertise and, and experience. I love Ken Blanchard. He's, yeah. so, he's such an amazing leader um, and teacher. You know, yeah. most good leaders are very good teachers. Um, and so, well, Norman, I have so appreciated your time. This has been a fascinating discussion about change. And while we are in the midst of amazing change, um, on one hand, again, it's provided that we all stay healthy, um, knowing all the things that we know and our collective wisdom and experience, it can be exciting to see and stand on the sidelines of change to see what's going to unfold next. 
I, I totally agree. I mean, I have learned to live my life with what we call an improvisation mindset. I don't expect the future to be a certain way. You know what? That is quite exciting. It's like being a child again and living each new moment with a sense of possibility and opportunity instead of a sense of dread, even during this COVID situation. I am looking forward to how the world's going to be different. I don't know what it's going to be like, but it's going to be exciting. It's going to be new. Yeah, it is. I, I heard somebody say that we get to experience life the first, for one time when we were a child, and then we just repeat that memory over and over again. So now it's an opportunity to live each new moment with that, with that same excitement of, a, of, a, of newness and, and, and joy in, in every new moment like a child does. I, I often call that with childlike wonder. Beautiful phrase with childlike, childlike wonder. wonder. And we as adults who have lived our long enough to become cynical and skeptical, um, which tends to take us to negative dark places, um, don't, need, don't need to be there. Nope. It's a choice. It's a choice Absolutely. of awareness. Absolutely. Um, and so I've, you know, this is what we teach our clients um, because there's so many other things in the world that are so unpredictable that, you know, it's really, a, and I can talk forever about mindset, but it really is, adapting that growth mindset. Yep, absolutely. You know, uh, Robert Kagan, uh, who wrote the book, uh, In Everyone Culture, uh, talks about job one and job two. Job one is the job we're here to do, the contribution we're here to make. Job two is everything, all the energy I spend protecting myself and defending myself and protecting my ego and my territory and my boundaries. Um, the more we spend on job two, the less energy we have to spend on job one. Right. right. Well, Norman, thank you so much. I want, I would like to give our listeners an opportunity to connect with you. I'd be uh, delighted. There to, to, to learn more about quantum leaders, to learn more about you. Um, so would you please share with us, what's the best way to connect with you? <clears throat> um, go to my website, www.quantumleaders.com. Uh, there's a contact page. It's easy to get a hold of me. I respond to every contact request. <clears throat> I suggest you refer to you know your podcast, Change Makers, so I know where they're coming from. Um, I've also set up an opportunity for them to get a little bit more insight, a glimpse into um, into the living organization framework. Uh, they can go to quantumleaders.com forward slash podcast, and I've made available. Uh, the first three chapters of my book in PDF format that free to, it's free, download it, enjoy it, and, uh, and write to me. Uh, contact information is on our website. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much um, for your time. It's always such a pleasure uh, just to chat with you. Please stay healthy. Um, yes. And um, I thank you again for so much. And thank you to our listeners and our viewers today of Changemakers. And one of the things that we always say in this time and in others, um, it's so important for each and every one of us to be the change that we want to see. So stay healthy and be that change. Take care. Thank you, Kimberly.